0: for
1: joy. Hi, I'm Sadie, and this is Jump for Joy. Each episode, inspiring professionals share their secrets to living a healthy, joyful life. In today's episode, I get to chat with the incredibly inspiring Sybil Buck. So Sybil is a true Renaissance woman. In the 90s, she was a supermodel, and she walked the runways of Chanel, McQueen, Galliano, Givenchy, Yves Saint Laurent, and Gautier. She had an iconic look with her septum piercing and bright red short hair, which we talk a lot about today. She went on to be a touring bassist and backup vocalist for many years, and now she lives in Topanga Canyon with her family teaching yoga. I took my first ever yoga class from her a few years ago, because I'm lucky enough to also live in Topanga, and I was astounded by her wisdom. I'm really excited to share a little bit of that with you guys today in this very raw, real conversation we have. We chat all about how using her modeling career to promote individuality really empowered her, and how we can all find what lights us up in life. As well as the best way to create a beautiful at home safe yoga practice and how to deepen intimacy with ourselves, just to name a few. And with that, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the podcast, Sybil. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks, Sadie. I'm so excited too. I'm inspired by your ingenuity. Oh, thank you. I'm inspired by you, and you've been my teacher for quite a few years now. I know. And I've always wanted to have you share about your life story and everything that you are because it's just so incredible and inspiring. Thanks, so, Sadie. <laughs> <laughs> to get started, why don't you just tell everyone here a little bit about yourself? They might not, not have all had the chance to take one of your yoga classes before. or So, yeah, who are you? Um.
0: Well... Who am I? That's an easy one to start with. (laughs) Um, I'm 45. I teach yoga. My daughter's 16. Her dad's my partner of almost 18 years. We live in Topanga. And that's the basics. That's like the numbers. But who am I is probably more... I'm um, someone inspired by what i see and feel in life and i want my way of living to be some kind of response to that some kind of, so it's an active conversation and interaction between me and life itself and so that means i've done a bunch of things i you know as a kid all i knew was that i wanted to get up and out of where i was and when I found out about modeling, I thought that's a good way. So I moved to Europe when I was, I did two years of college first. I'm not sure. I think it was really my mom's influence that she really didn't want me to get into it too early. She'd always say, you can do that later. You can do it later. You can do it later. So I was 20 when I moved to Paris and that was one career. And after that, I knew I wanted to do something fun and expressive. And I had been playing bass since I was 15. So I started to get into music And I was so committed to that, even though it was incredibly humbling how hard it was to switch. I thought I might be able to kind of skip from the 13th floor of fashion over to the same floor of music. But instead, I had to really land at the bottom and start again. And after that, moving to Topango was um, more about my daughter Puma, our daughter, about getting her into nature and just you know putting things aside to focus on her that's when I came off the road I I stopped touring about a year after we got here and I was really didn't know what I would do and I kept doing yoga to keep myself sane in the not knowing and then one day I just kind of thought oh yoga (laughs) and that's what brought, brought us to here about eight years later
1: That's amazing. And I'm so glad that brought you here because then I was able to meet you and you were able to enter this amazing community of people in Topanga.
0: I'm so glad to have (laughs) landed in Topanga. It really wasn't because I knew much about Topanga. It was just Chris's band is in Los Angeles and I heard there was nature in Topanga and I really, my intention was to get Puma to where she could go outside and climb a tree. And that worked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: That's amazing. Were you always in love with nature? Or did that sort of start when you came here?
0: No, I think, you know, I really, it's almost sad to feel that I see this, but I feel like um, if a kid doesn't have that connection, it's not very obvious just to happen upon it later in life. And I had deep nature when I was really little. Um, I was born in France because my dad was teaching there at the American school. But he lost his job right, I think, before I was born, because we came home when I was six weeks old to Virginia, and my parents bought a house in Loudoun County, which now is pretty populated, but back then was really country. We lived down a dirt road, and I think we had a few acres of our own. I don't, I didn't have any way of like measuring; it seemed huge, with a creek and the bouncy tree. My sister and I would go. There was a dead tree that you could bounce on, like a almost like a seesaw. Major's
1: trampoline.
0: Exactly. Nature's trampoline. <laughs> and across the little dirt road was this thicket. Um, I don't know what they were. I feel like because I was four when we left and I could climb up in it. So I feel like they weren't very big tree shrub something, but they had these vines of that looked like cables hanging down. And I used to play Tarzan and swing through and I just remember, you know, it's like a visceral memory coming back to nature here because I moved into the city when I was about 13 and then I just considered myself a city person and I just wanted to absorb urban culture and um, I didn't really sink back into nature until returning to nature in Topanga. And I remember, like, we had a really great hike the first year we lived here where you could really hear nature. And when I first was hearing the sounds of... You know, the insects, even flies that I don't think of as an insect I totally love. But the sound of them outside, not Mm -hmm. in your kitchen, but just like, you know, and bees. And I remember the crunch of the gravel on Carrie Lane, the dirt road under my feet. Even that was so familiar because that's that we lived on a dirt road. And it really put me brought me back into my body. And that was the same thing, you know, around the same time I was doing yoga every day off of actually a podcast. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we had one car the first year we moved here, so I couldn't really get to a studio. And I found a podcast, and I just did that every day. It was my first time doing yoga off a podcast, and it was amazing because I, you know, Puma was little, so I could hit pause, and do whatever she needed, and then come right back and start the class again. And it was really economical. But so both those things—the podcast and walking in nature—I really feel like connected me with my body again. And then that's how come yoga became obvious. Oh, yeah, yoga just feels so good and keeps me connected to my... And I thought, what better than, oh, I have to go to work and do yoga. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I can imagine that'd be an amazing job. Just Yeah, every day I'm grateful. Doing everything you love, yeah. So let's go back a few years to when you first started modeling Mm -hmm. and you became such a huge supermodel on all the covers of the huge magazines and on the runway.
0: Thanks, (laughs) Sadie.
1: No, it's true. And I'm wondering, you had such an individual style with your septum piercing and your tattoos and your red hair. And where did you get that from in the first place? Well,
0: um, you know, What I attribute my style to is street culture because like I said, we moved to the city when I was 13 and I really, I guess, well also I lived in the city when I was 10 for one year and that was the year that Atomic Dog came out, which is an awesome song if you don't know it, you should listen. (laughs) And um, Yaz upstairs at Eric's came out, which is a, an amazing record. And previously I had had access to just kind of like the radio in Massachusetts. And all of a sudden I was in a city where the kids had boom boxes. And I got a boom box for Christmas that year and a pair of roller skates. Oh, yeah. And so, and I was, you know, my mom was single mom working and we had an apartment and I had a key. And after school I could go home, grab my skates, my boombox, and go to the park. And the girls were there playing double dutch and listening to music. And if not, I'd put on music and skate. And something that I really discovered in the, in the, in the inner city culture of diversity, there's a real value on individuality. More so than any time I ever lived in the suburbs, which was junior high, and then even my perception of uh, you know some valley culture here can be that real same same you know influence of media on what's good to be. And when I was growing up in inner city environment, there was everyone would say you know whatever is whatever makes you weird that's your thing. Like you have to cultivate that into some kind of artful expression. So if you if you're pigeon toed, that's your swagger, and you you go with that. That's amazing. If you're like this string bean, you know, where in like middle school and suburban culture, my body type, which is your body type, was really hard. I mean, I think now there's more kind of value put on Super Skinny, Mm -hmm. but man, in suburban Virginia, like, you should have hips and boobs, and I didn't, and I was just like this twig, and it was so, you know, poke funnable, because it was different. And then in street culture, it was like, no, you make your tag something to do, you know, my tag was Virginia Slim, because I had been in Virginia, and I was so (laughs) skinny. And yeah, you just roll with what makes, you know, what really lights you up, even if that's different than everybody else, so. I think like septum piercing, I didn't get tattoos till after modeling, but um, that that drive to get into body piercing was just kind of that I was seeking something, you know, that had grit, that I could feel that had something visceral about it. Um, And that seemed like a really interesting exploration into like, there's this whole... Uh, segment of the spectrum of sensation that were just brought up to be like, no, you stay away from that. That causes pain. You don't do that. These are the rules and how you avoid pain. And at a certain point, I was like, but wait a minute, you know, what if I don't think of it as something bad, then what does it feel like? And that kind of against the grain impulse is, I would say, what's behind all of it. You know, wanting to, I want, I'd always thought since I was a kid, that fashion would save me in terms of I'd be able to make money and create a life for myself. But I hadn't really thought about what the job was or what the implications were of being involved in that industry or anything. And I, I got to Paris and I was 20 and all of a sudden it hit me. you know, This is a job of selling things to people by making them feel like they're not good enough without having them. And I saw how the whole industry worked and it wasn't what i th- you know it wasn't how i thought it would be to be there and and how to interact and who i would work with and what the images would look like even there were so many really hideous jobs that you know those were the ones that paid more money or there were these cool jobs that i loved with people i loved working with and those were the ones that didn't pay any money and the whole thing was so confusing you know so i arrived there i take a look around and realize what i'm actually doing what i'm actually involved in and all of a sudden i Feel just culpable if I take money for this. You know, for shame that I should take a fortune for making, it's like makes me choke up for making women feel bad about themselves. (laughs) Uh, It's funny. It's just so different from what I do now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I had to do, I had to offer something of value. And what I felt that I could offer that was of value was like uh, a secret code that I would speak in you know so that no matter what I was wearing that red hair would be saying don't you believe this (laughs) you know don't you buy this this whole you know illusion of what you're supposed to look like there aren't as many rules as you think like you would think this is not allowed but Look, here I am right on Chanel's runway. Here I am right on Yves Saint Laurent runway. Here I am on Christian Lacroix, which is so was so, or, uh, you know, yeah, just some of the really more, I did some crazy conservative shows and I just wanted it to be, I remember explaining it to photographers, whatever images we're doing. I'm also going to be expressing that there are fewer rules than people think I'm going to be putting that energy into my expression. So if you're wondering what that is, like, that's what I'm, I'm trying to communicate through my eyes and through my face and through my heart and my body and everything. I just want to communicate, like you can have a life that no one else says you can have. Everybody told me I couldn't do this. Everybody said, why did you do your hair like that? You're never going to, you know, I remember someone at an advertising agency said, well, you know, a photographer, if he wants to work with a girl, he wants to be able to do everything that he's doing. The advertising, you won't be able to do advertising with this. I totally did advertising. Shows they knew. <laughs> yeah, right. 50 foot billboard in Times Square advertising. And the editor of Elle said, I would never, ever be in French Elle with my hair like that. Two covers later, you know, yeah, oh at a certain point she was fine with it. And that was so empowering for me. And for other people, too. Well, the intention was for it to be empowering for them. But like the more I was committed to that, for instance, when I just did my hair red, somebody offered me a huge sum of money to dye it back. But like the week after when I just had this huge epiphany about who I needed to be to feel okay in fashion, then it was like, okay, but here's more money than anyone's ever offered you what now where's your morals now you know how strong do you feel about this and I was like oh no I have to say no (laughs) no I won't change so they got a wig like the kind where the hairs are sewn into the fine mesh on your scalp you know by your scalp and did I got the job anyway which was not what I thought would happen I would you know there's a thousand girls with brown hair but what I hadn't realized was oh you're saying no that made them wonder what I knew about myself that they didn't know. Like, well, who's this person that can say no to this money? We want to know. We want to have her anyway. And then I realized people who I barely knew were coming up to me and saying, I heard you did this thing, you know? And it was like a story that got around. And then that, like, yeah, that ended up empowering me so much. Then the more I, I realized that, the more... If I didn't want to do a job, I felt like saying no was great for my career, you know, instead of feeling my, you know, agents will always say, you have to do this job. You can't say no to this job. This is such an important job. You have to do it. But once you say no and things get better, then, well, no, actually, I don't want to do that job. I'm not doing any fur. I'm not doing any cigarettes. I'm not doing anything to do with anything. Alcohol, I wouldn't do any of those things.
1: That's incredible. And that shows how... People are, they get so interested when they're like, someone doesn't just want to go with the status quo. They want to do something different and they have morals. And I mean, that makes you, it seems like you're harder to get, which makes them want you even more. But it's also, it's so empowering to other people to even hear this because it just shows that you can say no and do what feels right for you. And then it'll pay off ultimately. Yeah. I mean, it's always
0: really, I hear, Sometimes I hear really wealthy people say something like, you just do what you love and the money comes. And, you know, I was—I didn't start with it, with money. And that's what I felt. That's what I, in the times when the most money was coming, I felt actually to the point of a little bit on guard of doing anything outside of my integrity. Because I felt like it's because I'm in my integrity that this flow is happening. I have to be really careful not to betray my own ideals, which I think at a certain point I was vegan and I became really dogmatic about it. But also veganism was kind of a way to hide the eating disorder that ultimately, Mm -hmm. even though I was naturally skinny, I needed to, I need to limit my food intake to maintain, especially because I'm six feet tall. And so if someone like Kate Moss is five, seven and a half, and we have to fit in the same clothing, I need to be really skinny so at a certain point, I saw where the dogmaticism of my um, sort of moral code actually became unhealthy. And that was when I left fashion. I realized really? I'd gotten myself into a space that was, yeah, kind of too rigid. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. It was it was becoming rigid. So I had to leave it. And wow. actually, right then, I did, a, I did an ad for Camel cigarettes, and I did an ad for Hennessy. <gasps> and I went and ate McDonald's french fries. And... Just basically, I was like, okay, I'm out, you know, and I, I remember someone gave me a raccoon fur coat, which is secondhand, I still wouldn't buy new fur, but you know, it was warm and I yeah. was living in a great big loft yeah. in Brooklyn that had no heat and it was great and I wore that too. So when I was 27, my Saturn return, watch out for that. <laughs> <laughs> There's just this urge to kind of tip over the table and throw everything in the yeah. air and that was the next phase and that's when I started playing music.
1: Well, it sounds like that's what you needed to get yourself out of that kind of strictness with yourself. Yeah. And that's really interesting. Do you think, I don't know, do you think intuition led a role in that and listening to your gut?
0: Um, well, it was a tumultuous time inside of me. It's when I discovered, I really, well, I started trying to meditate the first year I was in Paris when I first started losing my mind about fashion. Um my aunt was a Buddhist and my mom's sister Mary Louise Barrett and I asked her if there was something she could recommend just I was sniffing around at what what is spiritualism cuz my I was raised my mom was pretty atheist and my dad was self-described agnostic he said I don't know that there's something I don't know that there's not something but it works for me to think of a kind of ideal and my mom was like no when you die it's lights out you know, full-on, no spiritual component in my upbringing. So I, I just felt something was missing, right, about, especially mm-hmm. when I landed in Paris, and all of a sudden, you know, one of the hardest things about it, be getting to Paris, was... It was this identity crisis. All of a sudden, I'm wearing clothes that aren't my clothes. And even when I wore clothes that were my clothes, the culture doesn't speak the same fashion language, more so now with the Internet. But before the Internet, there were really different languages being spoken by the pair of shoes you wore or the silhouette you were wearing or, you know, it was people used to offer me money on the train. I was like a skater. I wore like jeans oh with holes in them. You know, it was grunge. What the hell? And they'd be like thinking I was homeless. You know, that was oh. the language I was speaking when I would wear my, you know, casual clothes. And then when I was dressed up to go on castings, I f- I'd see skaters, you know, at Leal and realize I couldn't just go up and say hi. Cause I'd be like some weird lady you know, dressed like a lady. I didn't identify like that at all. So yeah. it was really undermining for my sense of identity. And I think that's what initially drove me to look at spiritualism. So I asked my aunt, she sent me this great book by Trungpa Rinpoche. Uh, actually, I forget how you say his whole name. Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. And it was something about the path of, the, of Shambhala or something like that. And it had a little description of exhaling yourself out. And I tried that for years, you know, exhale myself out. What does that even mean? Yeah. And then one day it happened. I exhaled and I realized that was it. I was out, gone for a second. For one beautifully blissful moment, I didn't remember any of my context, none of my details, my whole sense of self, that whole thing I was struggling to find and keep. I just breathed it all out. And what was there was peaceful and spacious. So that was a huge moment for me. Like I remember it. I remember exactly where I was. I was standing up, actually. I was putting my clothes away and Uh I just tried it. Whoa. You know, and and then as soon as I thought, that's it, then it, of course it was gone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's amazing, though, and you talk a lot about that in yoga. Yeah. In class about... I carry you know, it forward, everything for sure. Out. Yeah, well, that's where you get it out. from, apparently.
0: But then when I was leaving fashion, uh, you know, I don't know how in touch with my intuition I was. And in fact, I started to really have a lot of anxiety. And I could see from my more objective self that... I was tripping, you know, I was, loo- I was not grounded. That the way my mind was moving wasn't healthy. And so I went upstate to an ashram. Oh, I forget the name of it. Um, but I did like a semi-silent retreat for the weekend. And I remember the cacophony of my mind sitting in my bedroom and not speaking and just listening to this. It was so loud. It was so loud, just shouting match inside of my head, because it was terrifying to leave this industry that had given me all this you know resource to to live. I got a, I got to put my dreams into the physical world because of that flow of resource. And I had no guarantee of being able to keep generating that money at all. In fact, I used the money to create a loft community in Brooklyn because I didn't suspect I was going to keep having very much money at all. And I knew if I just had a cheap place to live in New York that was beautiful and inspiring, and I always dreamed of living in community, then I wouldn't need that much money. You know, and the amount of money I needed to cover, because we split the space 10 ways, was, wow, was manageable. Yeah, it's still there. It's an amazing community called The Dog House so cool and puma wants to move there my daughter wants to move there next year after she graduates
1: wow
0: and that's where she spent the first seven years of her life
1: wow Mm -hmm.
0: that feels really good but anyway i went upstate to get my head together and that was right around when i discovered yoga when i was 26 and It's what saved me in making that transition, saved my sanity, kept me grounded, put me back in my body. Again, from the crazy schedule of travel, I mean, I had to just tune out of my body. It was so, my back was so painful. Really? Yeah, high heels and all the planes and just everything. Yeah. General overall tension. You know, they might call it fibromyalgia now, Uh, not claiming that I had fibromyalgia, but That kind of tension that causes like deep aching pain. When I started going to yoga, that was the first relief I had from back pain. And then the whole time I was trying to be a musician, and finally, you know, I had these dreams of being like a front person, you know, being the head of the band and having a huge career. And it ended up just really finding. I my place on stage in a rock band is backing up someone who I really believe in. That was humbling too, but uh, uh, such a great yeah, such a great discovery to realize I actually prefer it singing backups playing
1: bass. That's amazing. Going back to what you were saying earlier about keeping about girls finding their own kind of niche and just where their place is. And how they can own whatever they have. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give girls? Even if they haven't found that one thing that they want to be or that they want to have. What advice would you give them? Well, the funny thing is, I think
0: it's misguiding, misleading to say, look for, you know, some people find it early. You know, what works for you? What lights you up? What inspires you? Some people find it early. But I think a lot of people don't find it early and then they feel like there's something wrong with them or that there isn't one. Exactly. That's the message. And actually I think you know and this is totally true in a yoga class look what's look at what's hard for you to look at. You know, when you want to get out of a pose for instance, why? You know, what part of your body is saying I don't want to do this anymore? And I'm not talking about big pretzel shapes or something really complicated. I'm just talking about, you know, for instance, basic warrior shapes, especially warrior three. Oh I th- gosh, I, I want <laughs> to get me out of that. <laughs> warrior three is just, I think the reason it's so hard Sorry. for, I think most people is the outer hip weakness that comes with lots of sitting
1: mm.
0: and that's in our cult- culture. We're sitting all the time and the outer hips are just, they're not having to work stepping sideways or balancing that uses the outer hips but unless we're playing tennis or something you know most of us are are fencing maybe (laughs) not working those muscles out and so looking at the practice if i had looked at my own practice and said what's the worst part i would have said warrior three now why well it kills in my hip well why is it killing your hip I, i just can't stay there well why can't you stay there well i guess it's weak oh there's something I can do. And it's the same with self-perception. If, you know, for instance, I, with body, you know, image, and I'm not talking about someone who's suffered trauma or who's in a dysfunctional relationship with food. I just mean, when you're a kid, your body's either like the social norm of that particular moment you know that particular decade you happen to have either the big butt or the no butt or the you know whatever big boobs or no boobs or you know it's clear when you look over time that there's not one actual ideal
1: my gosh it changes so quickly
0: yeah and then if you look back far enough you get really big differences and so it's clear it's not about there's one kind of beautiful it's like right now something's a fad so divesting ourselves from fad is the open door to investing in what's perennial in us what we can count on and a lot of times what we can count on is revealed when we look at what bothers us about ourselves you know well what if you're bossy well what's behind bossy you have like a good idea about how things should go you know, so maybe your approach takes more finesse and gentleness than someone who's naturally shy because you're in people's face telling them how you think it should go. But that might be your thing. You know, you might have, you might be a visionary. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> you know, and, and so on. What? Maybe yeah. you're shy. Well, why? Maybe you're spending so much time, you know, you might kick yourself for not being with it or able to think of a quick comeback or something like that. But Maybe it's because you're super invested in your own inner world and you're so in that space that when these other people who are really extroverted and practicing all the time at saying things that sound right, you know, when they come to you with something, you might not respond quickly, but that doesn't mean there's something wrong. You know, and if you respond in a true to yourself way and something comes out like flowers on your face and your farts (laughs) smell like birds, you know, maybe you get teased for that and you become a poet. You know, I mean, I, I can't think of all the examples, but it could literally be anything that you're embarrassed about or that other people point out about you. Sometimes people point things out when you're a kid because that's an easy way to make themselves feel better. Whatever yeah. it is about you, they'll just say it, you know, and make something that rhymes with it, you know, like, I don't know, whatever you were called when you were a kid, right? It, like, my sister's name is Eliza. They called her Pie Liza. Clearly, that's not an actual problem.
1: <laughs> but if oh, you, you like pie, you. Yeah,
0: right? Anyway, there's some nonsense out there, but noticing, noticing what's hard, noticing what sets you apart which sometimes culture tells us not to like, I think is a good place to start. Work with that. Right now in my life, I'm trying to notice what am I avoiding feeling, which is similar. Mm. If I'm feeling resistant in my day, I'm feeling tense or I'm just not relaxing or I don't feel excited about what's on my schedule for the day, if I just kind of sit still for a second and ask myself, wait, hang on, what am I trying not to feel? And just turn toward it for a sec and give it its moment and let myself feel it and integrate it. And maybe I have to say, yeah, I am sad about that. Or yeah, I do feel anxious about this upcoming deadline or whatever. But once it's seen, it just doesn't have the power over me. So maybe that's why it's a good place to start. It's just empowering to own whatever it is that you feel is unlovable and unacceptable and it's a good place to start.
1: <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. And I love that, how you were saying, you don't have to have something that you know right away, what you want to do. And then these days they want us to know what we want to do with our lives so early. So even if you don't have your thing, you can just see how you feel and dig deep and see where you're uncomfortable. I love yeah. That.
0: It's like deepening intimacy with yourself is going to mm. lead you to where you need to be. So if you're not sure, you know, some kids, I see them, they're like, no, I already know I want to be a journalist. And in fact, this summer I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to cover this story. I met someone through the internet and I have, I can stay with their family. You know, some kids have that. But I think if that's not happening, it's just a great, I mean, gosh, relatively little responsibility, although kids' lives are full of obligations. But, you know, it's a great time to really start listening to yourself, noticing Maybe somebody's going, well, I don't know what bothers me about me or I don't know what other people point out, but that's even just listening to what's going on inside of ourselves, what causes friction. That's a practice that, you know, anytime, for instance, if someone says something that upsets you, if you can sit down and say, what does bother me about that? That's such a good starting point for being in intimacy with yourself. And knowing yourself and what really works for you or doesn't I mean, I feel like that's what takes you, that's what allows life to be this interactive conversation that I was saying. I feel like if I wanted to identify as anything, that's what I want to, ad- and I think that's an artist, you know, I, I do identify as an artist, and whether or not a person is producing some, you know, piece of art, life can be lived in an artful way, and that to me is what it is, is, Being willing to look at the full spectrum, like with piercing, being able to look at the painful stuff and the good stuff, and that's the palette, which is so much broader than if we're avoiding what our mother always told us not to be or avoiding what we always thought we couldn't do if we wanted to be successful, whatever that means. You know, That's just cutting out swaths of experience.
1: I'm wondering, how could one, or how did you... Hold on to this immense humility and your individuality in an industry like when you were in fashion, and so many of the models, you know, they, if they want to get jobs, they have to conform to what the designers, they know the designers want. So, how did you hold on to this individuality surrounded by all of that? Well,
0: I will say that even though my individuality was um, more apparent. Most of the women I knew who were really at the top of their game in fashion, they were in touch with themselves. Really? Yeah. I mean, there were very few women who... I just don't think that works very well in any milieu. You can't just roll in and want to do what everybody wants of you and have people respect you no matter what you're doing. Even though fashion seems so conformist, I think the trick is okay I have to fit in these certain ways you know pretty physical number ways I have to fit but in what way do I still maintain my connection to who I am and for some women Anna Alice I remember was so committed to her family sending money home and So for some people, it was family. I always brought my friends (laughs) to live with me in Paris, you know, and I'd let I had an open door policy where I had my key under my mat and literally anyone who knew that was welcome to come and sleep at my place to the point where one one morning I came home at like three in the morning from Israel or something. And there was someone actually asleep in my bed because there were a few people there. But it was fine, you know, that's what I invited. And I knew that that was part, part of the possibility. So for me, staying connected to people who weren't in fashion was yeah. huge. My whole friend scene was not in fashion. I did have a couple favorites, like Stella Tennant was an amazing human being. And I always looked forward to seeing her at fashion shows and hanging out and talking. And she's always really quick-witted and that was fun. But, um, you know, I think everybody who who was because it's a hard job and you can't sustain unless you're rooted in something, unless it all makes sense in some way. And how can it if you're throwing it all away, which is what it is when you don't hang on to anything that's you and you're just doing what other people want you to do, just throwing it all away and that's depleting. And I don't think that lasts. I think people ultimately will be, you know, healed, as they say, like a dog healed to their own integrity by discomfort, pain, you know, not being in integrity is painful.
1: And I'm wondering how did all of your... I mean, you've got fashion and being a rock star. How did this all affect your yoga practice once you started doing yoga?
0: Well, like I was saying, yoga came right at the end of fashion. So I don't think I even remember ever taking a yoga mat on a fashion job. Yeah. When I got home, I would do yoga, and that started to actually probably pull me out of fashion, doing yoga, putting me back in touch with my body. It's true. Putting me back in touch with my body led me out of fashion because I had had a lot of skin problems, and so I took Accutane, which in France, it was kind of no big deal. Just take it. You have to get your liver checked every three months or something because it's kind of toxic, but when I got back to America and I saw the packaging, which is like may cause side effects such as suicide. Oh my know? gosh! Like really, night blindness. I mean, Jeez. they didn't have that kind of warning system in France. But when yeah. I got here, I realized this is poison, and that's not me being an in integrity with myself, poisoning myself for this. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to go off of it. And so I knew that was the end. You know, the, I, I. Didn't suspect how much detoxing I was going to have to do through my skin after Mm -hmm. having been on that medicine for a long time, which was way worse than I expected. But I knew at least I'd be going back to not great skin. And also eating. I just, my diet wasn't working for me anymore. I didn't know then. We didn't, we didn't generally know then about the um, plant estrogens that are in soy. And as a vegan in the 90s, everything was soy cheese, soy milk, you know, fake meat that's soy, soy everything. And I think that's part of what wasn't working for me. But also just, again, the rigidity. So doing yoga just, it balances a person. I, if you have a good teacher, you know, and if the energy going into the intention is balanced, it balances you. So it pulled me right out of fashion. It was like, you're done with that. You can't, because wow. you can't keep eating that way and you can't keep taking that poison. So I was out. And then I did take my yoga mat with me on tour. And, um... Yeah, it's just like a friend. Yoga's like a friend mm-hmm. that you kind of have with you everywhere. And when I came off tour, when we moved out here, and I was committed to this move, as I said, for my daughter's well-being, because I believed really what it was, was when I looked at how did I become who I am, which I like. And yes, there was that urban component. And Puma had you know, been growing up in Brooklyn, so she was getting that. But I realized that nature connection piece is a Mm. huge part of how I became who I am. You know, climb a tree and can't get down, you find out a little bit about yourself. Or, you know, walking, I remember walking through these pastures where the bulls were right on the other side of the fence and that was just even imagining. Uh, I think I had to cut through the corner of one of those fields and I knew that if the bull was mad and came for me, it could be so dangerous. You know, these kind of wild things that happen in nature that aren't going to happen. They're different kind of wild things. Different, exactly. Very different. Being in a tree, I just so viscerally remember being in a tree and eating the pear off the tree. Being Mm -hmm. up in a tree and not wanting to come down, but being hungry and being able to stay in a tree because the tree was giving (laughs) me a pear. It just, I feel like it, having a connection with nature teaches us that everything is provided which is the attitude that I think helps make flow come, you know, helps make everything be provided. If we are yeah. if we really feel that that will be so, that nature will provide or that this life is full and, and we will have what we need. Yes, you have to work hard. It's not to say you don't have to work hard and often that you don't have to sacrifice what you think you want. But what you need, you know, if you f- If you have that vibration of abundance, I feel like that really calls it in,
1: yeah, and in the yoga practice too mm-hmm. that that's so amazing. And you've talked about this a lot in your yoga practice. But again, a lot of these people listening won't have taken your yoga class. Yeah. So why don't you explain to us a little bit about how your at-home practice looks like and how people can get started with that? Because I feel like that's such an amazing way to get empowered. And even if you can't make it to a yoga class like you used to not be able to, how can we start on our own? Well,
0: over a couple decades now of doing yoga, I realized... You know, I think everybody who gets into yoga is inspired by some teacher. And at least in the beginning, they get in and they think, this is the best yoga. This is the real yoga. There's other yoga out there, but this is the real yoga. And then they either stick with that. Like I know a lot of Ashtanga yogis who are dedicated to one teacher for decades. Or sometimes and they go find another thing, and then they might feel like, well, this is the real yoga. And some people go through lots of different things. And I think they're all the real yoga, you know, whatever is working for a person at any given time to unify them with whatever's less visible, more subtle, and maybe more, uh, more perennial and more long lasting than any other part of ourselves, which is what I think the job of yoga is. If a yoga is doing that, connecting you to that, it's yoga. It's the right yoga. And that means to me, um, you kind of can't go wrong unless you're not listening to your body. So let's start there. Listen to your body. And for me, that's that's how I start my home practice. I usually will start lying down and just drop into my body, meaning where do I feel pressure between myself and the floor under me? How do I feel myself breathing? Sometimes, oh, I'm not breathing. <laughs> you know, I'm barely <laughs> in breathing.
1: every yoga class, you're like, we're on our fifth breath. And I'm like, wait, we're supposed to breathe? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And
0: where does the breath go? And where does the breath not go? And how do my eyelids actually feel when they make contact with my eyeballs? You know, and where does my tongue sit in my mouth? And knowing that the tongue rests in the lower palate how come it's always so actively reaching for the roof of my mouth or that my teeth can be slightly separated and my jaw can release away from my skull? All these sort of investigations in releasing habitual tension in every joint that are kind of the backbone of restorative yoga. That's usually how I start mm-hmm. undoing. Uh, Leslie Kaminoff, who's one of my favorite teachers from the Loyola Marymount yoga therapy program that I did a couple years ago, says, and maybe he's quoting someone, but he says, it's not about how do we breathe, it's about how do we undo what's in the way of us breathing. So I start there. How do I undo what's in the way of me feeling my body? Mostly relaxed tension and put the mind on hold for a sec. It might still yammer on, but I've, I've muted it. You know, I'm doing something else right now. I'm putting my full attention on feeling the layers of myself, skin and, you know, muscle and bone and marrow, even breath, the energy that moves inside of that structure, just starting there. And that leads me. And the other day I was hanging out with a little kid on the floor and you don't have to tell a little kid on the floor in a nice carpeted floor, what shapes to make their body does it for them. Anybody who's observed a kid on a carpeted floor knows, Yeah, they, you know, they'll twist and stick their tush in the air and, <laughs> you know, something sticking toward the sky and they just, it's natural to feel into our bodies. So All the yoga poses, in my opinion, came out of that kind of exploration. These monks wanted to sit still. They wanted to meditate, and they didn't want to be distracted by anything, not even their bodies. And meanwhile, the more they sat still, the more the body was like, hey, I am called back, and I am (laughs) not happy. So eventually, I think they just decided it might be more effective to pay attention to the body than to ignore it. And okay, fine. If you're not going to let me sit, what do you want me to do? And the back was like, um, bend me forward and (laughs) backward and side to side. And we can do the same thing. We have the same access to that knowing. You know, I think of it as Gnostic yoga, you know, knowing which comes from inside of us and not from an external source. So to me, it's all the same it's all the same conversation, tuning in to what's coming from inside. And that leads to yoga. And yeah, there are people out there who know more about anatomy than any of us do. You know, there's superlatives everywhere. I go take classes from people who know more about anatomy than I do. And I, you know, I love to offer that to my students. And I was to
1: ask you about that, actually.
0: That helps keep keep us safe. Yeah. Knowing actually a knee joint is only meant to bend in one plane. Knees don't bend at all side to side. So there are some poses that some people can do because their hips are flexible that other people, the only way they can get in, but is by bending their knees sideways, like lotus mm-hmm. position and that's not safe. So that's where I think it, if you're going to try yoga and you want to, if you, even if you've been doing it in the studio, imitating what someone else is doing is to me the most dangerous thing. And feeling into it from us, from our own sense of pain and, you know, that, which is why it's so important we be in our bodies and feeling them before we start the asana practice. That's what keeps us safe. So teachers who constantly remind us to tune into what we're feeling, that's a teacher helping us to discover our own sense of self-protection. If we're always relying on someone, how can we have a home practice? So find a teacher who encourages you to listen to your own body. Uh, That's one thing. Because I do think we we need help with some of the forms if we really want to be expressive in every direction with our bodies and really explore what it can do. We need a guide. And that's, I think, a good way to know if the guide is going to help you have a home practice. And you can start now with never having, ha- having had that and find that person along the way. Or you can start with a teacher and simultaneously be cultivating something at home. But if you just stick to finding movements that feel right in your body, and even if you look at a picture of a pose that the way you find your way into it is from the inside out, then that's mm-hmm. just a great, a great parameter for a home practice as soon as you're looking at something and struggling and not breathing that's another one if you're breathing yeah. it's yoga if you're not breathing yeah. it's not yoga yes if something makes you stop breathing but you got your foot on your head or whatever <laughs> that's not yoga you know that's striving that struggle i see that on instagram there'll be these challenges yoga pose challenges which for some people is fine. They're yoga teachers or they have access to lots of yoga teachers who can help them. But then there are other people who may be never have even been to a yoga class, but they're born bendy and they can kind of do this stuff. So they're able to put their bodies in the positions of the shape, but they're not breathing Mm. and they're not in touch with what makes that shape safe and alive vibrant right. the Just structure to get the picture
1: of it. Mm-hmm. which could probably become dangerous too if you're right away yeah, yeah. especially yeah. if you're not stretching beforehand i've tried that it's like i'm going to do eight angle pose or whatever tried yeah. it i couldn't but i have a feeling if i was more if i was breathing and if i'd worked up to it and had been practicing it for longer, it would have been a whole lot easier.
0: I also think there's amazing instruction, verb like written instruction online for almost any pose, and or uh, and it gets tricky because some people are going to talk you through it in a way that isn't safe. But you can yeah. again, you can feel it for yourself. Right. If the instruction is referring you back to your own experience, that's a good sign. And so look for some written instruction. Yoga Journal has great written instruction for poses. Or a podcast or, you know, a YouTube video where someone's really walking you into the pose, but not just an imitation of what it looks like. That's what I'd say not to do in a home practice. And what to do is move based on what your body's telling you and have input from a teacher if you want to really go there with those bigger shapes.
1: Yeah. I feel like from your classes, I've gleaned so much information about anatomy too, um, so that when I go home, I can not only feel if something hurts, but if I know that I'm supposed to twist after an inversion or something, mm-hmm. I'm not going to hurt myself, mm-hmm. which is amazing. So that helps people get empowered if they get some instruction, too. Exactly. Like.
0: Yeah, a teacher who's helping uh, fill in the gaps of what you can't necessarily feel. It was so mind expanding just life expanding for me to learn about my own body and and I thought why didn't they teach me this and I thought oh they tried you know middle (laughs) school I think they tried to tell me what all the bones were but it wasn't related to movement or it wasn't related to anything I wanted to do yeah Yeah, it was just like this map of a skeleton and it wasn't compelling but anyway once it was related to me once I could see that that's my body and And when I'm doing that pose, I need to use this muscle to keep my, you know, shoulder blade attached to my rib cage or whatever. Um, That really felt empowering. And in terms of teaching, because I didn't really study anatomy until I started being a teacher, it made me feel like I would be able to be safe. Because as soon as I started taking teacher training, the first thing I realized, they kept talking about injury. And it hadn't really Mm -hmm. occurred to me that we might hurt people. And that was, whor- again, it's like getting into fashion and realizing what I'm doing is not in line with my values. And I'm getting into yoga because I'm thinking it's going to keep me healthy and help me help other people keep healthy. Ah, but we might, what, rupture a disc or like tear a ligament or yeah. rip a muscle? Oh, man, I definitely didn't want to do that. So I felt like the, the anatomy was like a, a safety manual. Like these things don't bend this way. Don't try to make them. You know, and if you want to bend this other way, it's only safe if you're engaging these supporting muscles. And the program at Loyola, um, where we had visiting instructors every weekend, some of whom were surgeons or chiropractors or therapeutic yoga teachers or, you know, a wide range of professors, they filled in so many blanks about what... Current studies are saying because this stuff gets old, it's not true anymore. What we thought right. was true about how you stretch is no longer considered true. And what we thought was true about how you keep your low back say, for instance, uh, people would always say pull your belly button in and up to support your low back. Well, now we know that's the least supportive Gotta thing go. you <laughs> can do mm-hmm. instead, bracing, creating tension in the abdominal wall, the transverse abdominis like when you go, ha. Is the most supportive thing for a back bend. So it's helped me so much. Right? You can yes. get in deeper. It's not yes. just about keeping safe. You're all of a sudden realize, oh, that's how a drop back can happen. Someone standing up can bend backwards and touch their hands to the yeah. floor, not because they're so courageous they don't mind if they fall four feet to the floor, but because that whole deepest core of muscle actually lets them carry themselves into that back bend safely.
1: I know, I tried to do, well, I did backbends for so long. I could go all the way back so easily, and then suddenly my lower back hurts so bad. I just, like, took a year off doing backbends. Mm-hmm. And then you started talking about the bracing of the stomach, and now it doesn't hurt at all. Oh, that's so great to yeah, hear, Sadie. Yeah, it's amazing. Yay. And I just want to hear, what is your favorite yoga pose?
0: Shavasana. <laughs> 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 I mean, truly. I, I went to yeah. a client's house today and it's a Topanga client, which for those who don't know what that means, it means, you know, slack. There's, it's okay. He Sometimes he cancels last minute. Sometimes I cancel last minute. Sometimes he needs to push back the time. Sometimes I need to push back the time. So I got there, and he was nowhere to be found, and that's all right. It's a, re- it's a therapeutic client, so I just set up the first pose, which is a form of shavasana with the shins lifted. And I still wasn't there, so I lay down in it, and I had a good at least 20-minute shavasana. Oh
1: <laughs> You're like, I can get used to this.
0: Yeah, you know, really when clients are late, I do shavasana, I some kind of supported shavasana. And if I'm feeling off, that's my go-to, first thing. And that's how I start my practice. Is shav- That's how I start and end is Shavasana because I know from not only a medical perspective but also the the system of yoga that that's, that's where we can really be free of the imprinting of the samskara of our lives, what keeps us trapped in the cycles that otherwise repeat. And this is, you know brainwaves neural pathways we get habits there too so clearing the mind relaxing the body breathing and then even forgetting i'm breathing and then even forgetting i'm sybil and i'm a female and i'm a human forget it all and enter that space it's like i feel like i've plugged in recharging my battery and just system reboot you know uploading the whole thing fresh when yeah. I have Shabbasana, real it
1: Helps you connect with your, I'd say that's got to be the pose that helps you connect with your inner self the most. Because you're just, you're not trying to do anything or be anything. You're just letting go. And that's so amazing. I love to start how you start and end your classes that way. Because that really helps you like bring you back into your body.
0: Yeah, and to be really clear, shavasana traditionally is to practice non-attachment to the body, corpse pose. You're not even hearing, seeing, smelling, feeling. But um, I practice before that shavasana that's very in the senses, meaning, yes, I'm starting to allow myself to experience something other than the body, but then I'm also purposefully paying attention to what's coming in through Feeling the body yeah yeah and that 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 space it's kind of a, a liminal space between what's just spirit without body and what's just body without all this lifetime context
1: and i think we're running short on time but before you go i want to ask you a few quick questions just for fun okay so what's your favorite outdoor activity um, first thing that comes to mind is hammocking.
0: I love hammocking as a verb. Hammock. Is that sitting in, <laughs> yeah. down in a hammock? And Sounds like the best thing ever. Playing in dirt, gardening, planting things, moving earth. Yeah.
1: And what's your favorite item of clothing you've ever gotten to wear? Whoa. I know you've had a lot. So, <laughs> first thing that comes I... to mind. Oh,
0: man. Well, there was this Jean-Paul Gaultier show where he did a Mongolian theme. And it was the most stuff I've ever worn at one time,
1: ever. (laughs) it have been so hot on the runway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think they made it cold in there. And uh, there was fake snow everywhere. And I had lit candles in my hair. Oh, my gosh. And this huge, like, silk embroidered puffy jacket that was amazing with, like, a great big sort of gold, I think, rope belt that went around it. And he wanted to take it off one of my, I think, my entire arm, not even just off my shoulder. I think one of my whole arms was out. And I had a nipple piercing and he had this incredible sort of dragon with wings piece of jewelry that went right into my my piercing jewelry and I think they were kind of platform boots these really I just felt like I was eight feet tall you probably were (laughs) I might have been close (laughs) and yeah I don't remember what the music was but just that's a, a memory of a fashion show that really sticks with me
1: What's your favorite band?
0: Oh, no, I can't do that. (laughs) If I had to say, there's this amazing funk band from the 70s called Simon Day, um, or some people say Simondi. It's C-Y-M-A-N-D-E. And that's the music that I'm just never sick of. It's incredible instrumentation, and it's got such a groove.
1: What's one thing that makes you jump for joy? Ooh.
0: (sighs) Um, there's a lot of them. I, you know, you know, I really, really love seeing people who I love expressing themselves. Um, I recently got to go see my partner, Chris play in his band and I realized at a certain point, my cheeks were killing from just like giant smile And seeing him in his element, you know, it brings me a lot of joy and even strangers, like when those people who play on the streets are really into what they're doing, I'll just choke up like I can't even handle how beautiful it is to see a human being that invested in this in this life. Same thing when I see like, oh gosh, the Olympics turn me into waterworks because people just work so hard for that moment and then you're watching the moment that's the culmination of all that life force, that kind of thing.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. So for people um, who are listening and they want to keep up with all of your work and everything, how can they keep in touch with you? That's an
0: excellent question. There are some um, videos on yogadownload.com. And I do have an Instagram that's Sibby Fresh, although I try not to spend very much time there, but I kind of keep, you know, the major things updated there probably more than anywhere. And I have a website that's sibylbuck.com that currently is so outdated, but I do have the intention of making it better, so maybe... By the time somebody listens to this, it'll be
1: better. (laughs) And say we have some Topanga listeners, where can they take your classes?
0: At Yoga Desa, which is right in Pine Tree Circle, downtown Topanga, and I teach there a couple times a week. Also, my name is spelled S-I-B-Y-L-B-U-C-K, which is probably backwards from house. you might spell it if you didn't know that.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sybil. Thank you so much, Sadie, for
0: making me feel full of joy by being a person who's really living your life purpose already at such a young age. You're inspiring.
1: Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Jump for Joy. Make sure to subscribe and write a review. For healthy recipes and joyful living tips, check out my blog, goodiesagainstthegrain.com. And follow me on Instagram at Goodies against the grain. See you next time. Jump for joy!